the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. God blesses us in visible ways and in invisible ways. God blesses us in tangible ways and in intangible ways. God blesses us in good times, hear me on this, and He blesses us in bad times. Because it's sometimes in those bad times that I cry out for Him and I find a deeper fellowship with my Lord. And in that is blessing. God blesses us in a multitude of ways. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. The word blessing is thrown around so regularly in Christian circles that it is often misused and becomes cliched. It's easy to lose the meaning of the word, taking the richness of God's grace towards us for granted. We should strive neither so yearn for God's blessings that we lose sight of God as the giver of all good things, nor to neglect the truth that God does desire to bless us, even in tough times. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind us that every good and perfect gift comes from God. He desires what's best for us. Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Psalms, chapter 128 through 130. That's the danger. The pursuit of those things as the ends and a means to an ends rather than Christ being the end of everything. So that's the concern. So what's the balanced biblical view of this? Since in large part the American modern church has hijacked the term blessing and made it all primarily about material things. Listen, the blessing of God covers a wide range of things in our lives not the least of which is material things, and not the most of which is material things. So let me just do a quick survey through the Bible so we understand the context that the word blessing is used. The first time that we see the word bless in the Bible is Genesis 1.22. It's when God blessed creation, and it says in, verse one, in chapter 122 of Genesis, that God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. The next time that we see God uses that word blessing is in Genesis 9-1 when it says God blessed Noah and his sons. You see it again as the central element of God's covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 12, 2 and 3, he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
all through the Psalms, just giving you a few examples. Psalm 32, 1, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven. Psalm 40, verse 4, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Psalm 84, verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in the Lord. Psalm 94, 12, blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord. In the New Testament, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches in Matthew 5, many times refer to God's blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart. In Mark 10, 16, Jesus took children in his arms and he blessed them. In Luke 11, 28, Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. In James 1.12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. In Ephesians 1.3, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So on and on it goes. In other words, listen, God blesses us in big ways and in little ways. God blesses us in visible ways and in invisible ways. God blesses us in tangible ways and in intangible ways. God blesses us in good times, hear me on this, and he blesses us in bad times. Because it's sometimes in those bad times that I cry out for him and I find a deeper fellowship with my Lord. And in that is blessing. God blesses us in a multitude of ways. The ultimate blessing of which, this side of heaven, is resting in a sense of complete satisfaction in who God is in my life. Knowing Christ. And having that sweet satisfaction of that fellowship with him. Philippians 4, 11 and 12, Paul said this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. There's this old chorus part of another hymn that says, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world. But just give me Jesus. So, back to number seven, our point here is that we need to be thankful for God's blessings. Let me just give two practical points about what it means for us to be thankful about God's blessings. How can we handle God's blessings properly? Number one, for you note takers, God's blessings are for us who fear Him. If you'll notice in this chapter, in verse one, of this chapter. He mentions, blessed are all who fear the Lord. And again in verse 4, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. Now we talked about this a few weeks ago. We made a whole sermon out of it. There's a healthy fear of God that we should have. An unhealthy fear of God is the thought that God didn't get his morning cup of coffee and he's out to harm you and me. Okay? That's not a healthy fear of God. A healthy fear of God is having a deep, reverential, awesome respect for the holy God of the universe. And he tells us here in verse 1 and again in verse 4 that the blessings of God accompany those who fear him. God is not indiscriminate in the way that he hands out his blessings. What he says is his blessings are predominantly for those who fear him, who walk in this holy reverence for who he is. So if you really want to receive God's blessings in all its various forms, we're not just talking material things, fear God and experience his blessings. The second important truth about the blessings of God is this, that God blesses us. His blessings are for us to be a blessing. His blessings are for us to be a blessing. This is what God told Abraham in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. I will bless you in order to be a blessing. Now, I know the context of everything with Abraham there in Genesis 12 was about the ultimate redemption 
of humanity through the seed of Abraham because Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, would come from the line of Abraham. I get that. But in general, when God says to Abraham, I will bless you to be a blessing, he means it as a principle to all of us. The reason God blesses us is that we might be a blessing to others. God blesses us not so that we can be a bucket, but so we can be a funnel. If you keep holding your bucket to God and say, just fill my bucket, Lord, fill my bucket. I just, want, I just want to be full. He's not obligated to bless. The best disposition of a Christian in terms of understanding God's blessing is that we see our lives as a funnel. Lord, the, the wide end open to you. Do your wonderful thing in my life to whatever degree you choose to do it. Thank you for your blessings that come in many various ways and forms. Now, I just want to be a funnel your goodness to be poured out to others, your goodness to be distributed to others, your goodness to bless my neighbors, to bless my church, to bless my family, to bless my friends. That's how we need to see and understand the blessings of God. He blesses you to be a blessing, not so you can hoard it, but so you can be a funnel for it. Go to chapter 129. In chapter 129, again, it says, A Song of Ascent. In verse 1, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. With it... The reaper cannot fill his hands, nor the one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. That last verse looks a little conflicting with the previous chapter, but we'll talk about it. Let me put it in context with you. This psalm is about oppression. It's the word the NIV uses in verse 1 and again in verse 2. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. In verse 2, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Some of your translation uses the word afflicted instead of oppressed. New King James ESV talk about affliction. So choose your word. This is about oppression or affliction. And in the context, it refers to the various times when Israel was oppressed by her foreign nations by people groups that came against her. Particularly, this psalm is most likely a veiled reference to the 400 years that the Jews spent as slaves in Egypt. Because no doubt, verse 3, when he writes about the plowman has plowed my back and made their furrows long, he's using a farming analogy to describe the deep wounds and scars inflicted from a whipping. That's what he's talking about. And as Jews, they understood slavery. 400 years in Egypt. Taskmasters whipping them. Making long wounds like a farmer plowing a field across the back of slaves. The Jews understood and have understood historically a little bit about slavery and oppression. 400 years as slaves in Egypt followed later by 70 years captive in Babylon. And you look at Jewish history and you see the oppression of the Jews and you see how different enemies and foreign nations came upon them to either oppress them, slaughter them, or take over their land. Let me just give you a quick review of Jewish history. Slaves in Egypt, 400 years. Captive in Babylon, 70 years. 
The Romans oppressed them, slaughtered them, and occupied their homeland for 400 years plus, followed by the Byzantine Empire for 250 years, followed by the Muslim Caliphates for 400 plus years, then the Crusader Catholics for 200 years, who came in and slaughtered Jews and Muslims, Egyptian Mamelukes for 200 years, then the Ottoman Turks for 400 years, and then under British rule for 30 years from 1917 till 1948, during which time the worst of the slaughter happened by Nazi Germany killing millions of Jews. Okay, so the Jews understand a little bit about hardship, slavery, and oppression. When we go to Israel, which we're going to go in just another week, I'm taking a group from our church, we have to be careful when we're looking at different sites. Okay, now what are we looking at here? Is this from the Ottoman period or the Byzantine period or the Mamluk period or the Caliphate period? I mean, their homeland has been completely besieged and the Jews have suffered great oppression. Anti-Semitism is ripe in the world, always has been and will be until Christ returns. Because at the seed of it is animosity and hatred that emanates from the enemy. And the Jews understand slavery, they understand oppression. And the psalmist is writing before much of the history that I just recited to you. He understands just enough from Egyptian slavery what it's like to be oppressed. And yet I love the resolve of the psalmist in this chapter because in verse 2, look at it again in verse 2, he says, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. But they have not gained the victory over me. New King James and ESV says they have not prevailed against me. And why have they not prevailed against him? Because he says in verse 4, because the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. Listen to me on this. There might be some times in your life in this journey between here and heaven when people will oppress you, when people will insult you, when people will mistreat you or harm you or betray you. Okay, it's sin. Slavery, oppression, injustice, it's all sin. But because sinful people occupy this world, sinful people will do sinful things to other people. And if somebody does something to you sinful, okay, give them to God and move on. But do not let what people do to you rob you of your future because of what they've done to you in your past. That's what the psalmist is saying here. I've been, I've been afflicted. I have the scars on my back to prove it. But they have not gained the victory over me because the Lord has cut the cords of the wicked that kept me bound. He said, I'm heading to Jerusalem. I'm going to sing unto the Lord. I'm going to serve and worship the righteous one who has set me free from the bonds of the wicked. Okay, people have done what they've done to me. I've got the scars to prove it. But I'm going to worship the one who sets me free from my past and the offenses done against me. Amen? That's the God we serve. The Christian life is about persevering, and it's about trusting God with the outcome. So it's number eight on our list. Persevere through tough times and trust God with the outcome. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 10, Paul says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. He says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And then I love the raw emotion of the psalmist at the end of this chapter because then he starts to pray for the one who did all this oppressive stuff against him. Between verses 5 and 8, he says in verse 5, basically summarizing his points, the prayer that he prays about those who have been oppressive to him, 
In verse 5, he says, Lord, may they be put to shame. Put them to shame, Lord. And then he says in verses 6 and 7, may they be short-lived like grass that withers. And at the end, in verse 8, he says, may they never have God's blessings. Lord, I pray that people will not walk by them and say, well, the Lord's blessing be on you. No, 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 because of what they've done to me. And I just love the raw emotion, because truth be told, when people wrong you, insult you, do something against you that is sinful, there's a right way to pray. Now, there's a wrong way to pray, but there's a right way to pray. Lord, I give them to you. You do with them as you wish. But thank you for your grace and your forgiveness, and thank you for your healing balm in my life. You are the ones who cut the cords free from the bonds of the wicked in my life. And I'm not going to be held back because of what someone else has done to me or against me. I'm going to worship the one who cuts the cords free and sets me free. So, Lord, you have your way. But thank you for your mercy in my life. The last chapter we'll look at here is chapter 130. If you'll turn there together with me, chapter 130. Again, a song of ascents. He says in verse 1, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, had kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. O Lord, put your hope. Or rather, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sin. By the way, just as a little footnote, it is told that John Wesley came to faith because of Psalm 130, what we just read here. All of this reference to mercy and forgiveness of sins and hope in the Lord. Chapter 130 in the book of Psalms is considered one of the seven what are referred to as penitential psalms. There are seven penitential psalms in this book of Psalms. Chapter 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. Basically, a penitential psalm is a psalm about confession, repentance, and forgiveness. And this is one of those chapters. The psalm opens up here in chapter 130 with a heaviness. It's a profound heaviness. The psalmist is deeply distressed and convicted about his personal sin. And we see at the end of the chapter, he's also concerned about the national sin of Israel. But he starts with himself. He talks about the heaviness that he's under, the weight of his sin. And it's become so burdensome. He's under such heavy conviction that the weight of his sin has brought him low. That's why he starts out in verse 1 by saying, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Because he's in a pit. He's in a depth of despair over his own sin. He knows it. You ever felt like that? You ever been in such a heavy place that you felt like you were just literally in the depths of despair? And you know it's not because of anybody else's fault. It's your own. I've been there. I can, I can, I can point to different times in my life. The heaviness and the conviction of my sin made me feel like I was in such a pit of despair. The psalmist starts out by saying, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And what does he cry to God for? In verse 2, mercy. He says, let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. That word mercy in the Hebrew is from a Hebrew word, hanan. The root word hanan means to stoop down and show kindness to another. The psalmist is saying, Lord, please stoop down and show kindness to me. 
The weight of my sin is too heavy. I'm crying to you from the depths. I cry aloud to you. May your ear be attentive to my cry. Stoop down, please, Lord, and show kindness to me. This is the same word, mercy, that David would write at the beginning of Psalm 51, right after he was confronted by Nathan the prophet about his own sin of adultery with Bathsheba. Remember that? David would then pen Psalm 51. First words out of his mouth onto the paper. Have mercy on me, O God, Psalm 51.1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassions, he says. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. Blot out, wash, cleanse. David understood the filthiness of his sin, so he cries out to God. First words, he says, oh, have mercy on me, God. Stoop down and show me kindness. Because my sin, I know, is not only grievous to me, it's offensive to you. Show me kindness, Lord. And the psalmist says here in verse 3, he says, If the Lord kept a record of our sins, who could stand? I mean, if God was always about just reminding you of your sins, none of us could stand before him. But, he adds in verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness. But with you there is forgiveness. Lord, if you just kept a record of my sins, I'm, I'm, I'm done. But with you, there is forgiveness of sins. He goes on there in verses 5 and 6, talking about waiting for the Lord. In verse 6, he repeats this phrase twice, more than watchmen waiting for the morning. More than watchmen waiting for the morning. Why does he use that analogy the reason is because in those ancient cities, watchmen would stand guard on the city walls. And at nighttime, they would try to do their best, the best they could to peer through the darkness to see any advancing enemy forces. One of the best things for the watchmen was to know that their duty was over at the dawn of the morning sun. More than watchmen wait for the morning to find relief so that they can just find rest and relief. The psalmist is using that to express basically this, Lord... I need your forgiveness so I can find relief for my soul because your forgiveness is like the dawn of the morning for my soul. Lord, forgive me. More than watchmen wait for the morning, I, I find relief like the dawn of the morning sun for my soul when you bring forgiveness to me. God is a forgiving God. And point number nine on our list for today is Remember that forgiveness is only a prayer away. Forgiveness is only a prayer away. Quoting from another great hymn of our faith, It is well with my soul. There's a stanza where Horatio Spafford wrote this, My sin, not in part, not a little bit, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Along this journey between here and heaven, there will be times that we will be in desperate need for God's forgiveness. I'm not talking about getting saved over and over and over again. I'm talking about just being right with God. And when we sin against Him, of crying out to Him and asking Him to forgive us, and God always graciously 
forgives us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is a forgiving God. So run to him when you sin. Each psalm we read is intended to point us to one thing, the sovereignty of our Creator. Through pain, tears, joy, and praise, we meet a new characteristic of God with each new chapter. Though we don't know the melodies that accompany this collection of old, we benefit from the deeply passionate and poetic words. We hope your soul has been touched by the teaching you heard today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will return soon with more from this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to find additional messages at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd like to encourage you to download our mobile app while you're there so you can stay connected to God's Word wherever you happen to be. Each day can be made brighter by the love and power of our Lord. And it's so convenient to have it right at your fingertips. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, we'd love for you to come be a part of our weekly worship services on Sundays. Cornerstone Chapel meets at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each week. Or try our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. For directions and more information, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today, but be sure to join us next time for another in-depth look at the Psalms right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.